0: Evidence and Answers. Americans love to go to the movies. Storylines fall into every genre you can imagine. Everything from action-adventure to love stories, mystery and drama. Recently, another best-selling book was made into film, and people all over are talking about it. The movie is The Shack. The story has inspired millions, but how does it stack up against the Word of God? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zukran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the arena of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today, Pat is providing us with a critique of the movie, The Shack. Many say it is such an inspiration, so Pat will examine it. If you're unable to hear this entire broadcast, all of our messages are available on our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Now, here is our host, Pat Zukran, with part two of his critique of the movie,
1: The Shack. It seemed that direct communication with God was something exclusively for the ancients and uncivilized. While educated Westerners, access to God was mediated and controlled by the intelligentsia. Nobody wanted God in a box, just in a book. And throughout the book, he seems to criticize biblical teachings as, quote, religious conditioning or seminary teaching. Young's intention may be to encourage the audience to break stereotypes in their thinking about God. And this is commendable for we must constantly examine our theology of God and evaluate whether we have adopted false stereotypes in our understanding of God may not have been the author's intent to devalue the Word of God or theological training. However, I believe comments like these throughout the movie and the novel give that impression and we must be very cautious not to devalue Scripture, for that is the final authority in a believer's life, not experience. Our theology, our beliefs, our experience all must be evaluated and must be consistent with God's Word. God will not reveal himself or communicate in ways that are contrary to his word. God is not limited to, quote, words on a page. He also communicates through his creation or general revelation, according to Romans chapter 1 and Psalm 19. However, God has given us special revelation and communicated specific truths about his character and his commands in his word if God reveals and communicates information that is contrary to what he has written in his word, then he could not be the God of truth. There are truths that are not mentioned in the Bible, but those facts, you know, such as truth in science or about the world around us that we can learn through experience, but those facts should be consistent and not contrary to the word of God. So it was unfortunate that, there were more critical remarks made on biblical training and not a stronger emphasis to study and exhort believers to be diligent students of the Word. Paul exhorts us in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the Word of Truth. Paul writes again, in 2 Timothy 3:16, all scripture is breathed out by God, so it's literally the word of God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 21, Paul exhorts us to test all things, hold on to that which is good. We're not to believe all prophecies or all, quote, visions that come. We're to test them all. How do we test them? Well, we test them according to the Word of God. So the Word of God is supreme. It's the supreme authority and communicates God's special revelation. and It is the authority for interpreting doctrine and truth in the believer's life. Second, Jung presents several incorrect and confusing teachings regarding the nature of God and salvation. In this story, God the Father appears as a large African-American woman named Papa. Now, in contrast, the Bible teaches that God never takes on, God the Father never takes on physical form. John 4.24 teaches that God is spirit. 1 Timothy 4.16 states, God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To add to this, God appears as a woman named Papa. It is true that God is neither male nor female as humans are, and both feminine and masculine attributes are found in God. However, in the Bible, God has chosen to reveal himself as Father and never in the feminine gender. This gender distortion confuses the nature of God. And in the story, God the Father has scars on his wrists. This is contrary to biblical teachings in which only Jesus became human and only Jesus died on the cross. It is true the Father shared in the pain of Christ's suffering, but God stood as the judge of sin, not the one who suffered on the cross. Christ bore the burden of our sins. God the Father was the judge who had to render his judgment on the Son. God the Father says, When we three spoke ourselves into human existence as the Son of God, we became fully human. Well, Jung teaches that all three members of the Trinity became human. However, the scriptures teach that only the Son, not all the members of the Trinity, became human. And this distorts the uniqueness and teachings of the incarnation of Christ. Then we have some confusion regarding the nature of the Son. In this story, Jesus appears as a Middle Eastern man with a plaid shirt, jeans, and a tool belt. In the Bible, Jesus appears as a humble servant veiling his glory, as described in Philippians chapter 2. After the resurrection, though, Jesus retains his human nature and body, but is revealed in glory and full heavenly majesty. He appears in his glorified and resurrected body, and his glory is unveiled. In Revelation chapter one, John sees the resurrected Jesus in his glory. It says, I saw someone like a son of man dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool as white as snow and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. And John says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet, though dead. So that is the stunning, awesome, resurrected Jesus Christ in His full glory. Now, as the incarnate Son of God, Jesus retained His divine nature and attributes. His incarnation involved the addition of humanity, not the subtraction of His deity or His divine attributes. During His incarnation, He chose to withhold, hold back, restrict His use of His divine attributes. But there were occasions in which he exercised his divine attributes to demonstrate his authority over every realm of creation. However, in the shack, God says, although he is also fully God, he has never drawn upon his nature as God to do anything. He has only lived out his relationship with me, living in the very same manner that I desire to be in a relationship with every human being. He is just the first to do it to the uttermost the first to absolutely trust my life within him the first to believe in my love and my goodness without regard for appearance or consequence so when he healed the blind he did so as a dependent limited human being trusting my life and power to be at work within him and through him Jesus as a human being had no power within himself to heal anyone well first it is not true that Jesus had no power within himself to heal anyone. Jesus, as the incarnate Son of God, never ceased being God. He continued to possess full and complete deity before, during, and after his resurrection. Colossians 2 9 says, For in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. He did do miracles, and all that he did was in agreement and submission to God the Father and he did miracles in the power of the Spirit and he also exercised his own power. In John chapter 2 he said destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it from the dead. In John chapter 3 Jesus said destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. So it appears that young is teaching an incorrect view of the incarnation of Christ, that somehow he gave up an aspect or parts of his deity when he became human. When indeed, when he became human, he was still 100% God with all the attributes of God. He just added human limitations to that and freely withheld from the exercise of those divine attributes. But he did not lose them in any way and lived in complete obedience to God, so that all he did was in complete obedience. And there's confusion regarding the Holy Spirit. In this story, the Holy Spirit appears as an Asian woman named Saruya. Now, in contrast, the Holy Spirit never appears as a physical person in the body. There is one time when the Spirit appears in physical form as a dove at the baptism of Jesus. Moreover, the Spirit is never addressed in the feminine but is always addressed with the masculine pronoun. For example, in John chapter 14, when Jesus prophesies of the coming of the Holy Spirit, he, was, he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Another means of same nature. All right? He says, the spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you so throughout the Bible just as God the Father the Holy Spirit takes on the masculine pronouns now there is also confusion regarding the nature of the Trinity the first inaccuracy regarding the Trinity is that in this story all three members of the Trinity take on human form this confuses the doctrine of the Incarnation for scripture teaches that it's only Jesus or God, the son who takes on human form. The second inaccuracy presented in the shack is the idea that the relationship taught between the members of the Trinity is incorrect. In the book, God says, so you think that God must relate inside a hierarchy like you do, but we do not. Young teaches that all three members of the Trinity do not relate in a hierarchical manner. Now, in contrast, the Bible teaches that all three members of the Trinity are equal in nature. There exists an economy or a hierarchy in the Trinity. It describes the relationship of the members of the Godhead with each other. And this relationship serves as a model for us. The father is the head. And this is demonstrated in that the father sent the son. The son does not send the father. The father sends the son. In John chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. John chapter 8, verse 18, Jesus said, I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. In John 16, verse 7, Then it is the Son who sends the Holy Spirit. Jesus came down, From heaven, not to do his own will, but the will of the Father, John 6, 38. So the Father is the head of Christ. First Corinthians eleven three says, The head of every woman is the man, the head of every man is Christ. The head of Christ is God. First Corinthians 15, verses 27 through 28 speaks of creation, being in subjection to Jesus. And then verse 28, Jesus will be subjected to the Father. It states, when he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him, who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. The Greek word for will be subjected is in the future passive indicative. This means that it is a future event where Jesus will forever be subjected to the Father. These passages teach that there is indeed a hierarchy or an economy within the Trinity, in which all three members are equal in nature, yet the principle of headship and submission is perfectly displayed in the Trinity. This critical theological principle is incorrectly taught in the shack. Then there's confusion regarding salvation. In this story, Young appears to be teaching what we call pluralism. This is the belief that there are other ways to salvation besides faith in Christ alone. In this story, God the Father, who appears as a large African-American woman named Papa, states, Those who love me come from every system that exists. There are Buddhists or Mormons, Baptists or Muslims, Democrats, Republicans, and many who don't vote or are not part of any Sunday morning religious institutions. I have followers who are murderers and many who are self-righteous. Some are bankers and bookies, Americans and Iraqis, Jews and Palestinians. I have no desire... To make them Christian, but I do want to join them in their transformation into sons and daughters of my papa, into my brothers and sisters, into my beloved. Young states that Jesus, here speaking, has no desire to make people of other faiths Christians or disciples of Christ. So we're left to wonder what this transformation into sons and daughters of my papa really entails. What does it mean to be a son or daughter of Papa? Jesus commanded us in the Great Commission, go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Being a disciple of Christ requires us to know and obey the teachings that God has revealed to us in His Word and to receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Now, continuing the dialogue, Mac asks Jesus, does that mean all roads lead to you? And to this question, Jesus replies, not at all. Most roads don't lead anywhere. But it does mean that I will travel any road to find you. So although pluralism here is denied, there is confusion regarding salvation. It's a strange statement by Jesus to say most roads don't lead anywhere. In actuality, Jesus stated in the gospels that most roads lead to destruction. Matthew seven thirteen wide is enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Young fails to mention eternal judgment for those who do not receive Jesus, whereas Jesus makes it clear in John fourteen six he's the only way to eternal life and all other roads lead to destruction now things are further confused when the Jesus of the shack states I will travel any road to find you the message appears to teach that Jesus will reveal himself to people no matter their road or religion Jesus does not ask them to leave that road and follow the narrow path to salvation moreover in a later conversation on the atoning work of Christ on the cross, Mac asks, What exactly did Jesus accomplish by dying? And Papa answers, Through his death and resurrection, I am now fully reconciled to the world. Mac is confused and asks if the whole world has been reconciled or only those who believe. And Papa's response by saying, Reconciliation is not dependent upon faith in Christ. Papa says, The whole world, Mac, all I'm telling you is that reconciliation is a two-way street, and I have done my part totally, completely, finally. It is not the nature of love to force a relationship, but it is the nature of love to open the way. So Jung appears to be saying, all people are already reconciled to God. God is waiting on them to recognize it and enter into a relationship with Him. Now, these dialogues appear to teach pluralism, and although it is denied, the ideas presented by Young that Jesus is not interested in people becoming Christians, and that Jesus will find people on the many roads and that the whole world is already reconciled to God, presents the tone of a pluralistic message of salvation. Thus the book presents a confusing message of salvation. Finally, throughout the book, Young places an emphasis on relationships. He downplays theological doctrines and biblical teaching and emphasizes that a relationship with God is what is most important. However, Jesus stated, Yet a time is coming, and now has come, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. So it is not possible to have a relationship with God that is not based in truth. In order to have a meaningful relationship with God, one must understand the nature and character of God and how to be made right with God. Truth is rooted in the very nature of God who says, I am the truth. A relationship with God comes through responding to the truths revealed in his word. So a believer must grow In his relationship with God through seeking emotional intimacy as well as growing in our understanding of the Word of God, His truth. The two go hand in hand, they're not separated, spirit and truth. But throughout his book, Young emphasizes the relational aspect of our walk with God and downplays the need for proper doctrinal beliefs about God. It is true that Christians are to have a vibrant relationship with God. But this relationship must be built on truth as God has revealed in His Word. Seeking a relationship and worship of God built on false ideas of God could lead one to discouragement and even false hope. As one grows in Christ, one's understanding of God should move toward a more accurate understanding of God's character and this is revealed in His Word. An essential part of growing deep in an intimate relationship with God, involves the learning of biblical and doctrinal truths about God. The Apostle Paul refers to this in Ephesians 4.13 when he says, until we all reach unity in faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So simply knowing doctrine without involvement of the heart leads to a cold faith. And I believe Young was trying to emphasize this point. However, a heart religion... Without truth, as its guide, is only an emotional faith. We must have both heart and mind. And that's what Jesus commanded in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, where he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. So the shack attempts to address one of life's toughest issues, the problem of God and evil. And although this is a work of fiction, it addresses significant theological issues. In addressing the problem of evil young young communicates key theological errors and this can lead an average reader into confusion regarding the nature of God and salvation and especially when he is writing the words of God God although it's a fictional conversation, it's portrayed as God is speaking, and many will take that seriously and take The conversation is communicating serious theological doctrine because members of the Trinity in this novel are actually communicating here, so their words may be taken more seriously than he attends. So readers who have not developed the skills to discern truth from error can be confused in the end. So although the novel tries to address a relevant question, it teaches theological errors in the process and we cannot take lightly erroneous teachings on the nature of God and salvation. So I believe this book and this movie would make for a great subject of discussion for small groups and Bible studies. The topics presented in the book, such as the problem of evil, the nature of God and salvation, are worthwhile topics for all believers to discuss but with discernment. We can often learn and become more accurate in our beliefs when we analyze error Compare it with the scriptures and articulate our position in light of biblical truth. So I do not believe Christians need to run from error as long as they read and study with discernment. So as you go and see this movie, let me close with Paul's exhortation who says, test everything, hold on to that which is good. So as you go and enjoy the movies, test the truths that are taught against God's word and enjoy your times at the movie. All right, this is Pat Zucran. We'll see you again here on Evidence and Answers.
0: Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you find this broadcast to be of a great value to you, please consider partnering with us. Evidence & Answers relies on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air, you may do so right there online on the homepage of our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, including Pat's books, additional articles, and audio for you to listen to or download. Be sure to share it with your family, your friends, and of course, your church. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, visit them online at hcmlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ right here on Evidence and Answers.